Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about hyacinths. The scene in question for this episode takes place in Northanger Abbey and also at Northanger Abbey, the place. So we're in (laughs) Northanger Abbey, the book, and at Northanger Abbey, the place. (laughs) At this point in the novel, Catherine has traveled to Northanger from Bath with the Tilneys after a very eventful first night, at least eventful in Catherine's imagination. Catherine has gone down to the breakfast parlor. Henry is there, and after a bit of teasing about the previous night's weather, it's a whole thing. Just (laughs) go ahead and reread that scene. Catherine is like, I must change the subject, and comments on the flowers in the room. So here is their exchange. What beautiful hyacinths. I have just learned to love a hyacinth. And how might you learn? By accident? or argument. Your sister taught me. I cannot tell how. Mrs. Allen used to take pains year after year to make me like them, but I never could till I saw them the other day in Milsom Street. I am naturally indifferent about flowers. But now you love a hyacinth. So much the better. I love this as a gambit, a a conversational gambit. This is just delightful. I especially love that just little Easter egg we get of Mrs. Allen taking pains year after year. You know, (laughs) we know Mrs. Allen and we know the subjects that she's fond of canvassing. She can really... She can really stay with them. She's got dedication to those topics. Yes. Like if she can talk about a hyacinth the same way that she talks about her muslin, I can only imagine. (laughs) Right. And Catherine's like, it wasn't doing it for me. I don't know. (laughs) Something's changed, though. Now I really love hyacinths. Hyacinths are a bulb perennial flower that blooms in the spring. Each bulb produces around four to six linear leaves and one to three spikes of flowers. While there are many types of hyacinths, the most popular varieties originated in the Middle East. And the hyacinth gets its name from Greek mythology and the beautiful Spartan prince Hyakinthos, or hyacinth. As the myth goes, the sun god Apollo fell in love with Hyakinthos, as did Zephyrus, or Zephyr, the god of the west wind. In one version of the myth, while Apollo was teaching Hyakinthos to throw the discus, Zephyrus, out of jealousy, blew Apollo's disc off course and it hits Hyakinthos. And the young man dies, and from the blood of his wound grew this flower, the hyacinth. This myth is where the modern hyacinth gets its name, though it's not likely the flower that the myth actually referred to. So this was just the name assigned to it once it arrived in Western Europe. This myth is also where the flower gains part of its symbolic meaning. So the hyacinth is considered a symbol of jealousy. Obviously, connecting that to the myth makes sense. Also for the desire for forgiveness and of sincerity. In Northanger Abbey, I don't think we see much of the jealousy connection with the flower, but there are definitely connections to sincerity. 
Catherine Morlin is one of Austin's most earnest heroines. One of the things we love about her. So much. And there's just something inherently fresh and sincere about all of her interactions. And even the exchange about Hyacinth is just, it's so adorably unfiltered. You know, it's just this very endearing attribute in her character. The only reason she even brings this up is because she's like, oh gosh, I don't want to admit that I was imagining scenes out of a gothic romance. In Having my a gothic fantasy last night. Yeah. Oh, did you see the Hyacinth? It's just, it's so cute. And it's so transparent, right? It's, it's, it's very earnest, very sincere. And I think that's adorable. So back to kind of the history of the hyacinth, we find that the hyacinth bulb arrives in Western Europe around the late 1500s, and cultivation efforts began shortly thereafter. In the early 18th century, the flower was mostly grown and cultivated in the Netherlands alongside the tulip, obviously another bulb bloom. And the flower was considered a bit temperamental and more of a luxury item at first. They became especially popular in the 18th century as new varieties and colors of the plant were developed and were a bit of an it plant with the royal courts of both France and England. For example, in the mid-1740s, Madame de Pompadour, the mistress of Louis XV, popularized the process of forcing or tricking bulbs to bloom indoors at the French court. And according to Kristen Hansen's article from JSTOR Daily's Plant of the Month series, quote, it was also likely Madame de Pompadour who first ordered the French royal porcelain manufacturer Sevres to begin producing bulb pots for forcing. While one can force hyacinth bulbs by planting them in a glass vase above water or in a pot with soil, the use of glass affords the double pleasures of observing the plant grow a flower, stalk, and roots. So you get to see like the whole magical process. Yeah, seeing, seeing both ends of the bulb basically sprouting. Yeah. So the hyacinth becomes this kind of special flower where the bulb and the roots are nearly as interesting as the bloom, which is fairly unique, I suppose. But this is kind of a niche kind of horticultural interest at this time. But we start to see that change in the next decade. Apparently, the secrets of the trade for cultivating and creating really beautiful hyacinths were fairly well guarded by the Dutch until in 1752, the Dutch horticulturalist George Vorhelm published A Treatise on the Hyacinth. According to W. Roberts, in an article in the Journal of the Royal Horticultural Society, the little book was something in the nature of an innovation, almost indeed a scandal, since it was considered something of a how-to guide for the hyacinth. These were like trade secrets, and now... Right? Anybody can do this. Vorhelm's just giving them away. So in the treatise on the hyacinth, Vorhelm describes himself as, quote, descended from ancestors and relations who for above one century have solely applied themselves to the culture of flowers, and especially to that of the hyacinth. And then he goes on to say that he couldn't resist, quote, the pressing solicitations of all the virtuosi who have desired a treatise on this flower. He was like, who, who am I to deny the public, right, this information? People have been clamoring for this, okay? I can't even leave my house. <laughs> Um, and then this is my this is my favorite part. He goes on to write that he's sure that many of his countrymen, quote, 
and fellow fanciers will cast a stone at me for disclosing to the world the secret of his country, which few people are in possession of, and which would otherwise have remained there. So the secrets to cultivating hyacinths are now widely available to the interested public. I just love that he's like, yeah, my, my fellow countrymen might be a little bit angry at me for this. But, you know, I can't, I can't resist. And the public was indeed interested, in part because of Madame de Pompadour and Vorhelm's treatise on the hyacinth. The latter half of the 18th century sees a very distinct spike in popularity for the hyacinth. There are lots of horticultural illustrations of hundreds of different varieties of the flower from just this last half of the century. Yeah, the horticulturalists just kind of go wild for it. There's there's a lot of excitement around this particular flower. But according to Deidre Lynch in her article, Young Ladies Are Delicate Plants, Jane Austen and Greenhouse Romanticism, she points out that hyacinths were, quote, the 18th century Englishman's pride. They were into it. These flowers were um, partially exciting because of their showiness, because there was this kind of uniqueness about them. So Lynch goes on to explain, quote, they were specially grown with an emphasis on improved varieties, artificial hybrids, double blooms, freakish colors, cultivated, that is, as showy luxuriance. These flowers were also explicitly associated with theatrical exhibition. Horticulturalists regularly instructed readers in the construction of auricula and hyacinth stages or theaters. They supplied astonishingly specific instructions on how best to maximize the visual impact of one's polyanthus or hyacinth pots, guiding readers in, for instance, the construction of the awnings that would prevent blooms from having their colors faded by the sun. You had to make a little umbrella for your hyacinth. And put it on stage so it knew it was very special and very ostentatious. Okay, I kind of love that, actually. Like, you really have to take care of your hyacinth. As somebody who has a real fondness for sort of like miniatures and things, I just, I really like the idea of a little miniature awning just for your hyacinth. Yes. Put it on a stage with a really pretty awning and, you know, really, really show off that hyacinth. So there is something kind of fascinating in this history of the hyacinth's rise in popularity and its showiness, since there are some real parallels to what happens in Austen's novel. The flower is not an immediate cultural success in England until they are taught to love and cultivate this specific bulb. You really have to have patience and education to successfully have a hyacinth bloom. But once that education takes root, shall we say, the hyacinth <laughs> has a lot of success and becomes a culturally important and visually omnipresent bloom in English society. So it's very similar to this idea of, you know, Catherine is not initially very interested in hyacinths, but once she learns to love it, it becomes something that she can at least hold a micro conversation with Henry Tilney uh -huh. about. But it's, it's something about this kind of the process of learning to love it, this kind of education that goes along with the flower, I think that's really significant to the way that Austin is using it. There's actually another cultural link between hyacinths and education. Mariah Edgeworth, one of Austin's favorite authors, wrote quite a few children's stories, one of which includes 
a short story on the hyacinth. So this is in her collection, Early Lessons, which was published in 1803. And we get, yeah, a whole little story that's kind of like a parable about hyacinths. In the story, a young girl and her mother are walking through their garden when they come across several hyacinths that have been pulled from the ground since their bloom is fading. The child, Rosamond, asks her mother if she can keep the flowers. Her mother then explains that she must choose between keeping the blooms for a few hours or letting the gardener have them along with their bulbs so that they can have more flowers next year. See the lesson there, right? Ooh, what will you choose, little Rosamond? Spoilers, Rosamond does choose to let the gardener have the bulbs. So Edgeworth's story about patience, time, and appreciation of nature does have some parallels to what happens in the exchange between Catherine and Tilney. The flower is the focus of a learning opportunity that has, according to a lot of other scholars, some symbolic undertones. According to the article, A Surmise of Such Horror, Catherine Moreland's Imagination by Juliet McMaster, the hyacinth scene is, quote, a central moment in Catherine's development. So this is the moment when all of Catherine's freshness and adaptability are put in a clear cross-section. We get the contrast of the gothic fantasy she's been imagining with the locked cabinet in her room the night before to this moment of what McMaster describes as, quote, outward-looking delight in what is actually around her. So what we're seeing is Catherine demonstrating a certain amount of self-examination when Henry asks her how she learned to love the flower. She tells him she's not really sure how it happened, especially since she's naturally indifferent about flowers. I think that's a particularly self-aware moment for her where she's like, eh, I'm not really into this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but I did learn. And so she does know that Eleanor is responsible for helping her learn. So there's there's this kind of awareness that a learning thing happened and also an awareness of like, this is what I'm into. This is what I'm not into. Right. Without, without being like super wishy-washy about it. There are also some interesting things going on here with learning to love a hyacinth, which Tilney has more to say about in the text. But now you love a hyacinth. So much the better. You have gained a new source of enjoyment. And it is well to have as many holds upon happiness as possible. Besides, a taste for flowers is always desirable in your sex as a means of getting you out of doors and tempting you to more frequent exercise than you would otherwise take. And though the love of a hyacinth may be rather domestic, who can tell the sentiment once raised, but you may in time come to love a rose. There's a lot there to unpack, I uh -huh. think. Right? Yeah. So in this passage, as well as many other places in the novel, it's pretty clear that Tilney likes that he can teach Catherine things. He likes that she listens to him and his sister, that she's willing to be guided by them. He finds that he finds that charming. And in this passage, there's also a moment where Tilney has a seemingly condescending moment when he says that appreciating flowers is a desirable thing for women since it encourages them to get outdoors. And Catherine, who is so sincere and usually takes things at kind of face value, <laughs> is pretty quick to point out that that's kind of a moot point in her case, because as she says, I do not want any such pursuit to get me out of doors. The pleasure of walking and breathing fresh air is enough for me. And in fine weather, I am out more than half of my time. So she's like, I, 
I don't know what you're talking about, Henry. I love being outdoors. I love going outside. Yeah. This whole passage is just so funny because it's like going on about, besides, a taste for flowers is always desirable in your sex and all that. It can come across, I think, if you read it in a certain way, it can come across like very much like something straight out of a conduct manual. It's just like, is Mr. Collins here? Like what is going on? But I think knowing that it's Tilney, I think we can probably read it in a much more like, it's a very kind of gently teasing. Yeah, it's cheeky. Yeah. Because a taste for flowers is always desirable in your sex. Like that's an acceptable, uh, an acceptable lady pursuit. Pastime for for ladies. Yes. To me, that reads as as him sort of, it's a little bit of a, a wink and a nod at that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because we feel like, you know, his relationship with with Eleanor, in no way does he inhibit Eleanor or or kind of like have that kind of like, I'm the big brother, you'll listen to me kind of relationship with her yes. at all. This exact same passage, that coming from General Tilney reads completely differently. Oh, yeah. Completely. For him, that is very much like... I expect women to do this. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Whereas with Tilney, I think there's, again, there's a little bit of that just kind of like gently teasing. And... And Catherine's sort of like, okay, but what are we, what are you saying? <laughs> She's like, but I like to be outdoors. We've been outdoors a lot together, yeah. actually. <laughs> you know, all of the walks that they've gone on and all this. She's like, yes. what? I'm confused. Versus, you know, you can imagine them once they are an established couple. I'm sure she would really be like, oh, Henry, you know, she knows that he's teasing her. <laughs> right. She'll have figured out that dynamic a lot She more. will have learned Henry as much as she has come to learn to love Hyacinth. <laughs> So true. So true. So all of this seems to reinforce what McMaster's says about Catherine's gaining self-awareness in the novel. But Tilney's comments about learning to love the hyacinth is also interesting since he goes on to point out the potential for now learning to love a rose, which could seem initially like an odd transition. But according to Tomoko Nakagawa in her article, Roses, Hyacinths, and Pineapples, Historical and Eco-Critical Concerns in Northangarabi and the Mysteries of Udolfo, she points out that there is a possible meaning and connection between these two flowers when she writes, quote, In his conversation with Catherine, Henry contrasts the hyacinth, an artificially cultivated flower, with a rose. The love of a hyacinth, he suggests, is rather domestic or closer to home, compared to the love of a rose, that would take one farther afield in walking or hiking. So there's this kind of almost sense of adventure in learning to learn a rose versus a hyacinth, perhaps. This seems to suggest that the hyacinth is just a starting point for Catherine's maturation. She's been kind of sheltered and cultivated like the hyacinth and instructed in how to appreciate it. But now she might be more equipped to take on more independent assessments and use her own judgment more. And Nakagawa also points out that, in the same vein, quote, Henry's words express his wish for Catherine to remain as artless as she is, even as she matures. That is part of the attraction there, right? Her sort of, her lack of artifice and the fact that she is, she is who she is. Catherine could not tell a lie to save her life. And yeah. he finds that very attractive. Yeah. So if she says she loves a hyacinth, she does, right? She's learned to love it. Catherine is not coy. She does not have a coy bone in her body at all. No. Yeah. She does not know how to flirt. Not even a little bit. <laughs> it's so true. And not the way that Caroline Bingley doesn't know how to flirt, and but like thinks that she does. Right. Yeah. Catherine, it just would not even occur to her. If she is commenting on Henry Tilney's penmanship, 
it is a sincere compliment. Yes. But yeah, the fact the fact that she is so artless is kind of again, it's one of the things I think that Tilney is most attracted to in her. The fact that like she's not playing games. He can just kind of appreciate her in that way. And so I think, yeah, the fact that Nakagawa points out that this is something that he wants her to continue to be artless, even as she grows to maybe learn to level Rose. I think that makes sense in their relationship quite a bit. And I I do think it's kind of funny, too, to kind of talk about the fact that she's so artless and these kinds of things are so endearing about her, that she is also very specific about, like, when she falls in love with the hyacinth. Like, she wrote it down in her diary, you know? Like, learn to love a hyacinth. Today on Milsom Street, I accomplished this. And what I love about this is that most scholars talk about the scene in terms of her character development, her interactions with Tilney, this kind of intense sincerity kind of thing. But no one seems to dwell on the fact that Catherine learns to love a hyacinth while shopping on Milsom Street with Eleanor. And Milsom Street is the main shopping thoroughfare in Bath. While there may be some shops there that cater to horticultural interests, that's not what Milsom Street is particularly known for. It's more known for selling textiles and luxuries. So this is just me thinking kind of out loud. (laughs) But I'm a little bit suspicious that Catherine's love of a hyacinth is coming entirely from a plant-based interaction. I mean, she might have genuinely been having a plant in front of her while while she and Eleanor are having a conversation. Right. Yeah. It could have been like window decor or shop. Yes. Yeah, for sure. But I also think it's entirely feasible that she learned to love a hyacinth while looking at like textiles or patterns in other goods that are kind of very prominent around this period. So, you know, who's to say she didn't see something like an embroidered shawl with a hyacinth pattern on it? And that's when she fell in love with the flower. I mean, I, we, I don't. All I'm saying <laughs> is that Milsom Street is a very specific place to learn to love a very specific flower. I mean, I could totally imagine a day of shopping where perhaps it's coming up as like a motif in textiles. It's also planted in window boxes or mm-hmm. It's a popular flower. Who knows where it would have been shop, you know, showing up on Milsom Street. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of different ways that this could have gone down. But I just I love that Austin gives us that very specific detail. Also, the other thing that needs to be just mentioned in this whole scene is there is something very sweet, I think, about the fact that she's, you know, your sister taught me. And yeah. so you can imagine she's associating this flower now with this great day that she had with her new really lovely friend Eleanor who's very sweet and kind to her and Catherine is like oh well if she likes a hyacinth well I should like a hyacinth you know yeah and and it's just like I think a little bit of sort of really sweet gentle influence from a friend that she kind of looks up to and admires yeah there's definitely something about Catherine's relationship with Eleanor I mean, obviously, there's 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 Tilney in the background, but her relationship with Eleanor, again, Catherine doesn't dissemble. There's not a lot there to make us suspicious of why this is a great relationship between these two. Right. It's it's completely different from her relationship with with Isabella, which is just like red flag, red flag, red flag. Yes. Yes. And so and so the fact that this is like, oh, we, we have this interaction and, and Eleanor taught me to love a hyacinth. There's something I think, again, that kind of also demonstrates that there is this really solid relationship between Catherine and Eleanor that has absolutely nothing to do with Catherine and Tilney. Yes. Which is important, right? It's like instead of a friendship necklace, they have a friendship flower. Yeah. (laughs) We all love a hyacinth. 
Well, on that note, if you have learned to love a hyacinth, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next episode where we will be talking about Lizzie's embroidery with Dr. Jenny Batchelor. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.